Wait a minute, let me look. Hey, I didn't, is this on or? No, this is on. All right, good. Well, hey, it's good to see you here tonight. All right, how many of you here tonight? Raise your hand if you're here tonight. Amen, good. Some of you are here, some of you are not. And, uh, that's a proven fact. I'll prove something to you. Watch this. We're, oh, Brad's back tonight. I hated that. He wasn't here last night. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to resonate too much. But uh, Brad, I'm going to prove to you all tonight that Brad's not here tonight. Brad, are you in Arkansas? Nope. Are you in Bangor, Maine? Are you in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana? No. Are you in Mobile, Alabama? No, if you're, if you're not there, you're somewhere else, right? If you're somewhere else, you're not here, right? <laughs> now, I did want to mention something here. I've, uh, I, I, I don't like to call people down when they misbehave. So I'm going to go ahead and, and take care of this prior. So I have to, I'm going to have to ask Patty and Glenn to behave back there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> These newlyweds, we got children in here. Y'all got to behave. We got children in here and teenagers. I know you're married and I know you got the ring. I get all that, all right? But behave, all right? <laughs> well, there you go. Anyway, <laughs> well, it is a joy to be here. I appreciate so much your kindness and your kind words. And, and uh, Sheila and I are just honored to uh, be a part of your service and to uh, have the honor of preaching. I was telling the young people, I talked too much last night to the young people. I went, they asked me one question that took me about 30 minutes to answer it. I answered every question they didn't ask. So don't ask me a question because I might ask, answer every question you don't ask. But, uh, but seriously, uh, you know, it was what a joy it was to spend time with them. And I tell you, you, got, you have some good folks here. You, you, you parents have done a good job. You have some good children. And uh, now I know they're not perfect. But then again, neither are you. But then again, neither am I. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes our expectations are high, and they should be. But let's remember they are children. And they are human, and they do make mistakes like their parents and their grandparents. Now, my grandkids, their grandparents don't make mistakes, but some do, all right? <laughs> some are a bunch of heathens, but anyway. But uh, most of my grandkids, if they, they're heathens, they take after their grandma, not after their grandpa. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, seriously, it is a joy to be here, and it's good to have Brad back. I did miss him, and uh, I really... Uh, all, all kidding aside, I did really miss him, and I appreciate he and uh, Josh both have been uh, kind to me, uh, and uh, I appreciate their kindness, and, and uh, they're good guys, and they, they didn't get in much trouble when they was in college. Not that I'm going to tell you all about, and uh, I told you about the forking, but I won't tell you about the other stuff. Some of it is not necessary. I said it last night, Brad, you weren't here. There's some things I can't tell in mixed couple, in mixed company, all right? And so I want to make sure you understand that. But it is a joy to be here, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of your services, and Sheila and I are honored to be here, and uh, I just want to, again, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know it's not easy when you have to work all day. I understand that, and then come, and you got to sit and listen to some guys rip and snort and, and whatever, and, uh, but I'm honored you came. I really am, and uh, let's just ask God to bless. I, I woke up this morning a little after 4 and uh, not that I normally wake up a little after four. Lately I have been. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I guess it's God telling me to get my sorry carcass out of bed and pray. But uh, anyway, and so I, got, I prayed for a while there. And then I got up and got dressed and 
went over and started praying and doing some studying and stuff. And my heart was just burdened. I, I want to help you. I don't want to waste your time. Uh, I, I told, uh, I think it was uh, somebody today, I think it might have been uh, Josh and Sarah took me out, to, to, Sheila and I out to lunch. And I, I told them, I don't, wanna, I don't know how much time I got left. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste my time, but I don't want to waste yours either. I don't want you to come out after working hard all day uh, and then come out and, and, and come to church tonight and then waste your time. I don't want to do that. I want God to give us something. I want him to give me something. And uh, I didn't come here to waste my time. I want to get something, and I want God to do something in our life. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 51. And uh, when you found that, uh, hold on to that for a minute, and then turn and find, uh, if you would, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to read the last couple of verses in chapter 11, but... 2 Samuel chapter 12, find that there. I'm not going to read all of this, obviously, uh, for sake of time, but I am going to read just a couple of verses here out of uh, Psalm 51. So would you, out of respect and honor of God's word, would you join me by standing? As I read aloud, would you follow along silently? Have mercy upon me, O God. That's a good starting place, isn't it? According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, our text is verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I want you to notice that word, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And I want to look at one word there, and that's restore. Restore. Let me say this, and we'll turn. I'll have you to be seated, and we'll turn over to Second uh, Samuel. When you restore something, it means it had to be, it was lost or it was messed up. For example, we will restore a building. You try to restore it back. It, it lost its uh, shine. That some people will take an old car, and they'll, they'll take an old car that's lost its shine. Maybe it's rusted out. It's got a lot of problems, and they restore it. And the psalmist here, David, after he'd sinned with Bathsheba, said, Lord, I've lost something. I need restoration. I need you to restore something. What he said was this. I lost something that I want back. I had something, Lord, that I lost, and I desperately want it back. Father, help us tonight. If we've ever needed you, we need you now. I need you. What you've laid on my heart and what I prayed about and even got up this morning and studied and prayed about will not be sufficient unless you meet with us. May you take the word of God and drive it home to our hearts in such a way that we'll respond to your word. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Your turn there with me. Back over. Verse 26 of chapter 11 says of 2 Samuel, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David did, had done, displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he, and he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, bought and nourished up, and grew it up together with him and with his children. He did eat of his own meat, did drink of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. And he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. And David's anger was kindled greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee uh, king over Israel, and I just delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives, and thy bosom, gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would more have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of thy, the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thy house, thine house. Because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy, thy wife, thus saith the Lord, because, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of the, his, their own land, house, thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou, for, thus didst it, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do it this thing before all Israel, before the Son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath not put thee put away, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Have you ever lost your keys and you're ready to walk out the door? And you're late already? And you become frantic? I know I put those keys somewhere. Where did I put them? And you began to scurry and to search to try to find those keys. Because it's valuable to you that you find them. It's vital because the truth is, if you don't find them, you're going to be late for work and you may get fired. And so you're in a hurry and you're scampering around and you're doing it and you're frustrated and you're even complaining. Somebody must have taken them. You're blaming everybody and the, and, and the dog, if you have a dog, and you're trying to do whatever. And then after a while, you become desperate, so desperate about it, you even get to the point where you say, I think I better pray and ask God to help me find them. Anybody in here besides me ever done that? All right, a couple of you. The rest of you did it and didn't raise your hand or not honest. And uh, so... 
But I've lost my key. I misplaced them. Really, I never lost them. My, my wife or kids that lost them. But anyway, no, I've lost my keys and couldn't find them. In fact, the car I'm driving right now is my wife's car, the one we drove here. It's, we call it her car. It's really our car, but we call it her car. And uh, too, truthfully, my, I've got a set of keys to that car. And they're in a good, secure place. I just don't know where that good, secure place is that they're at. And so far, I've not found them either. And I have searched for them. But there's been times when you did. I, I, you know, you searched and searched and searched for stuff. I lost it. I cannot find it. If it was valuable, you searched until you found it or replaced it. Let me say it again. If it was valuable. Now, I carefully say this. I've been in the store before with our children. And one of them turned around and walked around when they were little. And, 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 and seriously, your heart dropped. No, no. Did somebody take your child? Did, did he, what, what happened to him? Is he wandering in the streets or something? He was just standing right here beside me. I had his hand. Where did he go? Or where did she go? One of our children did that. Kept doing that. Walking off while we was there like that. So he we was in the store. And I think it was Sheila went around the corner. Am I right, Sheila? And, and left him there when he walked off. And you could see him. And then he realized Mama was gone. He's like, he was frantic. All right, well, Mama, where's my mom? Oh, you know, frantic. And then she came out and said, don't you ever go off again. But you, you, you're frantic. I've got to find him. And I see that. And maybe I hope no one in here has lost their child like that. But you see the Amber Alerts and everything else. And my heart just breaks when I see an Amber Alert like that. And when I see them on TV and they're searching for a child like that, my, my heart just breaks and I'm like, Lord, please let the child be alive. Don't let it be, you know. Boy, you're frantic. You've got to find them. We've lost something that's very valuable also. I know it's not a child and I'm not making the comparison. Please don't think that. But we've lost something sometimes in our lives that's valuable too. And David had lost something that's very valuable to him. That's why he wrote, why God on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit allowed him to write this book, I mean the, uh, the 51st Psalm, because he had lost something. And he asked God, would you restore it to me? He'd lost something that's valuable to him. I want it restored. I want it repaired. I want it brought back. I want back what I lost. And I think a lot of Christians have lost things in their life, and they're not frantically searching for them. In fact, some of them don't even know they're gone. One day we left the church. We lived around the corner from the church at that time. We was in Roanoke, and we walked around the corner, and we got home, and we started to get out and started counting heads. And we had lost a child. We had left them at church. And so we quickly went back to church and got the child we had lost. And if you ever left your child at church, all right, there's a couple of you. Be honest about it. I mean, you know, you've got several kids. You've got to take head count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. And so it's real easy. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've got to go get them. David had lost something. He lost something that's very valuable to him. And lost it because of his lifestyle. David had an unbelievable walk with God. Can you see David as a boy out in the fields taking care of the sheep, talking with God and walking with God? And he walked with me 
and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. Here's David, a teenage boy, fellas, walking with God, talking to God. They had this unbelievable relationship. But you find David in 2 Samuel chapter 27. I mean, chapter, uh, yeah, D- Daniel chapter, I mean, Daniel. 2 Samuel chapter number 17. What did I say? 17, 18, somewhere in the Word of God. Chapter 11, 12. All over the place. <laughs> we find him in chapter number 10, I believe it is, where he, where he sins. And then we see him where he sets up after he sins with Bathsheba. Where he sets it up so that he can have her. And has her husband murdered. That's what God called it. Now, we could say he put him on the front lines and the other. The enemy murdered him, killed him. But that's not what, they, what God said. God actually said this. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife. When David went through that, he lost something. Something he'd had for years. Something that had been wonderful in his life. Such a relationship with God. He had lost it. Here's the problem. I'm not even for sure he knew he'd lost it right off the bat. Because when, when Nathan started telling this story in chapter number 12, David gets angry. David gets mad. And he's ready. He's saying, this guy, surely uh, uh, he hath done this thing, child, surely. He's ready to, to, to take the man's life and uh, have him to restore fourfold what he'd taken and have no pity on him and, and take his life for what he had done. Not knowing that he was the man that did it. Sometimes I think we lose something and don't even realize we've lost it until later on. He had lost it. David lost some things that he realized he really needed. He needed to find them no matter what it cost. Tonight, I want to give you just a, as we examine David's situation, I want to examine it by answering a couple questions. Question number one, what did David lose when he sinned? What did he lose? Go back to Psalm 51. We'll go back and forth from those two passages. Psalm 51. Look at verse number 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. Cast me not away from thy presence. Let me tell you the first thing he lost. He lost his relationship with God. He no longer had that sweet time of fellowship. He no longer when had that prayer time, and that time of communicating with God and God talking to him and him talking to God. That was broken now. Because he said, don't, don't cast, don't, 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 Lord, don't leave me. Don't cast me away from thy presence. You know, when we read about in the Bible about men that, that was men of God, even as we read uh, where Jonah, the Bible says, Jonah, when he sinned, he left the presence of God. He left his relationship with God. 
He lost that relationship that he had all those years. The sweet time of fellowship was now over. It was broken. And on and on through the Bible, we see men that lost their relationship with God. You go all the way back to the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They went and hid themselves. They had broken their relationship with Almighty God. James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Wait a minute. If you've got to draw nigh to him and him draw nigh to you, then you must be away from him, right? You don't say draw nigh to somebody that you're standing right next to. If I was standing, if Brad was up here, Brother Brad, and I was, he was standing right next to me, I wouldn't say, Brad, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. I mean, we're standing right next to each other. Can I say something to you? I used an illustration years ago. A friend of mine was in college at Tennessee Temple years ago. And he and his wife would go down and work. They had uh, what they called chapels, and he was leading music in one of the chapels. And he said that he and his wife would go down, and one day they were driving down. They hadn't been married but a year or two. They were driving, hadn't been married but a year or two. I'll tell you one thing, y'all drawn near each other there. <laughs> you get any closer, you'll be sitting in his lap. But anyway, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I love it. By the way, I love it. It's great. I'm 100% for it, maybe 150. <laughs> I may go down there and sit in Sheila's lap. I don't know. <laughs> they drive down the road, and his wife started kind of, <laughs> and he's like, what's wrong? He called her name and said, what's wrong? She said, nothing. Anytime a woman tells you that nothing's wrong, and she, she's not telling the truth. There is something wrong. Or when you come in, you go, what's the matter? And she goes, nothing's the matter. Okay, then why are you saying nothing's the matter? Look, I've been married 40-something years. I'm going to tell you now, I know when something's the matter. Nothing's the matter. She said, oh, no. He goes, Come on, you know something's the matter. What's the matter? And she said, well, he said, what? And she said, we don't sit next to, remember the old bench seats? Some of you older, you could sit right next to each other. Remember Dave when you were dating and she was sitting almost in under you and you had your arm around her driving with that same arm nearly? You remember that? You what? Did you? I bet that was hard. They both sat in the same bucket seat. <laughs> I hope it wasn't a floor in the floor and you had trouble changing the gears. But anyway, <laughs> phew, this is getting x-rated. I got to get out of here, all right? Anyway, anyway, she, he said to her, What's she, we don't sit next to you. He go, and, and so he said, I looked at her and said, I haven't moved. And he said, she slid over next to me and we pulled over on the side of the road and we played that old Span, uh, Spanish game, El Mucho Smucho. I don't know if it's an old Spanish game, but it apparently it was fun, all right? They were married. It was legal, all right? Look, some of us have lost our relationship with God. 
And God said, Paul, James said, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. No, wait a minute. Don't stop there. Let's read the rest of the verse. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. What has caused them to not be close to God? What is it? It's sin in his life. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, the reason why there was a break in the relationship was because of the sin in the life of that man. And the truth is, the problem with David, he had lost his relationship because he sinned against Almighty God when he had Uriah, when he took Uriah's wife, I mean, uh, yeah, Uriah's wife, and he took Bathsheba, and when he had Uriah murdered, killed. He broke his relationship with God. He lost it. And if we're not careful, some of us will lose our relationship with God and not even know we lost it. Please hear me and hear me well. What is it about when we get saved? Some of us that are older and we get saved, we're so excited we can't stand it. And we're telling everybody about Jesus and we're on cloud nine and can't wait to come to church and everything's exciting and it's new and it's a thrill. And by the time we've been saved for five years, we're sitting on the seat like a knot on a log. We don't move. We don't say a word. We just sit there. And we, if, we, if we do anything, it's like, uh. Some people, you couldn't get a holy grunt out of them if you had to. You couldn't blow them out of the seat with a dick of dynamite. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They lost that sweet relationship that they had with Almighty God. That's what happened. They lost it. And the truth is, most of them don't even know they lost it. Let me ask you a question. Why should one of these teenagers be more excited about Jesus than me? I've been saved for 40-something years. Brother, I ought, to be more, I ought to be 10 times, 20 times, 30 times more excited than they are. Besides that, I'm a lot closer to heaven than they are unless they die early. Brother Dave, why should I not be more excited about heaven? And we sit there like this. I dare you to make me smile even, preacher. I dare you. Boy, he's long today, wouldn't he? Boy, he is loud, wouldn't he? So far, you're hitting me on the head on both of them. I'm long, I'm loud, all right? We'll alliterate it, amen? Long, loud, and lovely. Okay, forget the last one, just long and loud. And loathsome. <laughs> I got the other L in there for you. We'll have a three-point outline. He lost his relationship. I'm afraid that's what's happened to a lot of us. I want you to notice something. In that last part of 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. And when the morning was passed, morning over her husband dying, Bathsheba, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. When we lose that close relationship with God because of our sin, it displeases the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to please him. Don't you? Don't you want your life and your speech and your walk and your talk to please God? It displeased him. Now on that, I'm going to show you something. Go back over there with me, would you, to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Verse, 11, verse 27 11 says it displeased the Lord. Now look at verse 9 of chapter 12. Boy, this is sad. Wherefore, Nathan says to, to David, wherefore hast thou... What's the next word? What is it? What? The. Of the. He despised the command of the Lord. 
Here's David, one of the writers of the Bible. Here's David who's communicated with God. Here's David who wrote a large portion of this, uh, of, of, the, of the psalm. And, and, and Nathan looks at him and says, David, you've despised the commandments of the Lord. You've displeased the Lord and you've despised his commandments. Wow. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Read on, would you please, with me? He said, despise the commandment of the Lord to do evil in sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with a sword and the children, uh, of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, watch this. The Lord shall never, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast, what? Who? Who's the me? God said, David, you displease me. You despise my word, and you despise me. Wow! You despise the Lord himself with your actions, with your wickedness, and with your sin. Wow! No wonder David lost so much. Number one, I said this. He lost his relationship with God. Number two. He lost his righteous testimony. You're there in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse number 14. One of the saddest verses you'll see. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to thee shall surely die. You've given opportunity. You've given great opportunity. For the enemies of God to blaspheme. Wow! If he's a Christian, the whole world's a Christian. Do you know when I was growing up, I went to church with young men. When I was a teenager, I went to church with other teenagers that every time we'd have at the end of the service, the pastor would always say, heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you know for sure you're going to heaven today, raise your hand. And they'd raise their hand, and I would not raise my hand because I didn't know for sure. And I would look at those guys that raised their hand, and this is what I would say. Hey, listen to me. This is what I would say. If they're saved, I'm bound to be saved because I just know what we did last night, or I know what we did Friday night, or I know what we did last week. And those guys are doing stuff as bad or worse than I am. And if I'm not saved, how in the world can they be saved? You know what he's doing, brother? Give an opportunity for the enemy to say some bad things about God. Boy, if that's the way God is, it must not, they must not have a very big God if that's all they can do. You know, when some of you run around and whine and complain about what God's done to the lost world in your life, you know what you're doing? You're giving them occasion to blaspheme God and say, God's not real. God's, if he was, it would have changed your life. Listen, friend, you're living such a way that when we look at you, they can, they can deny what God says, but they can't deny what they see in your life. Because they see someone who loves Jesus. They see someone who's kind. They see someone who's gracious. They see someone who's willing to forgive. They see someone who's willing to help somebody. And they say, I don't know what it is about him, but he's different. Instead, we live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, smell like the world. And then we wonder why people blaspheme our God. I'll tell you why. Because Christians don't have enough gall about them to stand up and act like, dress like, talk like, live like godly people. That's the problem. 
And they give opportunity and occasion for the enemy to cause havoc. Number one, I said he lost his relationship with God. He lost his righteous testimony. By the way, Lot lost his. One of the sad things in the Bible. Here Lot is. You know the story. Lot's there, and he's, in, he's gone to Sodom, and some people believe he may have been the governor there. He sat at the seat at the gate, in a seat at the gate. And when those angels came and said, we're destroying the city, get your family out, he went to his sons-in-laws. May I say to you, if you have sons-in-laws, you have more than one daughter. I only have one son-in-law right now. In a year or so, I may have sons-in-laws. But right now, I only have one. I have two daughters, but only one is married. Now, hear me. He had daughters that was there. And he had at least two daughters, maybe more, that were married. And when he went to his son-in-laws, and he looked at his son-in-laws and said, Hey, get out of this city and get your family out of this city and get my, wife, my daughter out of the city and get my grandkids out of the city because God's going to destroy it. His son-in-laws looked at him and scoffed him, and he was one that made them mock. They mocked what he said. They're like, ha, 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 really? Like, you're going to tell us to get out of this city? No wonder we can't win people to Christ. No wonder our testimony's blown. Lot had no testimony of righteousness. And may I say, my Bible says, Lot, righteous Lot vexed his or Lot vexed his righteous soul. You don't have a righteous soul unless you are saved. Lot was saved, but he was a sorry example of it. And his own children, his own son-in-laws, his own family members would not leave that city and were destroyed with the fire. And his daughters were destroyed. And his, if they had children, they probably did. They were destroyed. Brother Rick, it'd be like your daughters that are here tonight. And their husbands ignoring you when you told them that. And here, your daughters and all your grandkids that are here are wiped off the scene because of your, not your wife, your testimony. What did he lose? He lost his relationship with God, that sweet walking with God and relationship with God and the, that meeting him in the morning and praying and talking to him and on the back side of uh, somewhere taking care of the sheep and he and God having such communication and such, uh, such a relationship and walking together and talking together. He lost it. He lost his righteous testimony. And all that, he lost his rejoicing heart. Go back to Psalm 51. Restoring to me the joy of my salvation. Restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. Make me hear glory, joy, verse 8, joy and gladness that the bones which I was broken may rejoice. He had lost his rejoicing heart. He lost his joy. There's joy in serving Jesus. And we have tons of people who've served on bus routes, taught Sunday school classes, who now won't drive a bus when we need bus drivers, won't work on a bus route when we need bus workers, won't teach a Sunday school class when we got him because they lost the joy because they got backslidden. And here they are talented. They have the ability to teach. They have the, they have the ability to drive. They have a CDO license, which is hard to get this day and age. They have everything they need, but they will not do it because they just got, they said burnout. May I say what their problem was? They lost the joy is what they did. 
Many of us lost the joy of our salvation. That's why, that's why you don't ever smile and don't get excited. They sing a song up here about, save, 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 my sins are all forgiven. Oh, yeah, I know that. I've heard that song. I've sung it a thousand times. So, you still saved? Yeah. You going to heaven when you die? Yeah. Now, not one, one millisecond will your soul ever touch the, the uh, a touch in hell. Never will you have to face the fires of hell. And you're going to heaven with the splendors of heaven where the streets are gold. You're going to go up there and see Jesus face to face. And I'm talking about you're going to see those loved ones. Hey, those parents and grandparents and children maybe that have died and gone on before you. You're going to see them for the first time face to face for a long time. And you're sitting here going, oh yeah, I'm saved, aren't I? Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each step that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as go. Well, I'm going through a hard time, Brother Moon. So, you tell me you can't rejoice because you're going through a hard time? We got a guy in our church, and uh, he and I have become good friends. His name is Bobby. Bobby's diabetic. Bobby got disabled. He wasn't able to do anything. And dialysis three times a week. Had a problem with his heart. They had to go in and take. Now, I'm not medical. I don't understand all this stuff. But there's like a, around your heart, there's like a, uh, like a, I don't know if it's a bag or what it is, something around your heart. It got hardened. And they had to go in and actually take that out from around his heart. And then about two years ago, he uh, got a sore on his foot and it wouldn't go away. You know him, Bobby Grady. You know what I'm talking about. Mike Grady, Michael Grady's dad. It just kept getting worse and worse. Finally, they tried to fix it and he was walking with a walker and he's walking and something popped. Poof. They'd already gone and done surgery. They'd put in the pres- uh, uh, prosthetic veins in and everything else to get blood to his feet. Just wouldn't, blood wouldn't go to his right foot. And they said, uh, when it broke, they said, we can't fix it. We're going to have to take your leg off. And he was devastated. Nobody wants to lose their leg. And they took his leg off way up here. He got a prosthetic leg. He struggled doing it. We had another guy in the church named Calvin Wick. Calvin came to church and had a prosthetic leg. And he looked at Calvin one day. He said, you know why I'm keeping going? If Calvin can keep going, I can keep going. What a testimony. I told Calvin, what a testimony you are. Bobby's trying to do it. Bobby get, And then Bobby kept getting put in the hospital with, with this and with that. And he almost died and... They put, they, they'd be giving him on something that he was allergic to when they started to put him under to do a procedure, and, and he almost died, and he quit breathing, and they had to take him out of it and, sh- and get him back. and I don't know. Just, it was just over and over and over and over. I mean, every other week he was in the hospital for something. Every month he's in there for some surgery. He'd go to the hospital and get out on Saturday night. Listen to me. Get out on Saturday night. Listen to me. Get out on Saturday night. Listen to me. Sunday morning, he in a wheelchair, his wife had come roll him into my Sunday school class. 
How many people get out of the hospital like he was after you've been there for several days and come the next morning to church? Most people won't. Bobby did. You know what? I don't care who it encouraged. Man, I looked at that, Brad, and I, I couldn't hardly contain myself. I said, if he can come, I can go. When I don't feel good, I can be there. If, if Bobby can be there, I can be there. What an encouragement he was to me. What a blessing he was to me, personally. He went in the hospital, and I happened to be in there. Same doctor, Dr. Nagy's his name, I think. He walked in. He said, Bobby. He looked at it and said, Bobby, I'm sorry, but he got sores on his right foot, toes. So they went in, and they took his toe and his, his big toe and the second one, the next toe next to it off. A few weeks later, he's back in the hospital with a problem. Dr. Nagy came in. I'm sitting there, and his wife's there, and his daughter's there, and he says, Bobby, we're going to take it rest. You're going to take your foot off. In fact, honestly, until we, unless we take it off up above your knee, you're just going to keep having problems. Bobby said, not my other leg. They lost one doctor, not my other leg. I don't even know. My wife deserves better than this. My kids deserve better than this. There's no reason for me to live. The doctor left, and I said, Bobby, you can't talk like that. He said, Brother Moon, I'm, I'm sorry, but I said, Bobby, there's a woman there that loves you and have given her life for you. You can't talk like that. You got a family that would do anything for you. Your daughter would, she would die for you. You can't talk like that, Bobby. He came back later and said, you're right. He went in. They had to take the rest of the leg off. You know, sometimes things don't always go our way. And we lose our joy. Bobby lost his other leg. And then they had major problems with that, and infection, and finally got that old wood and he got out. Look, as Bobby got out, here he comes in a wheelchair, his wife. Sunday morning. Sunday school class. Church service. I hugged him and I said, Bobby, I don't know if you know it or not, but you're such an inspiration to me. You're not going to let that stop you. And we let a hangnail stop us. I don't think I go to church. God help us. He lost his joy. That's the joy of his salvation. People lose it so easy. Restoring to me the joy of my salvation. Tell you what else you lose. You lose your joy of serving. I've already talked about that. Then will I, notice he says in verse 13, then will I teach sinners, teach transgressors that way and sinners shall be converted unto me. Some of you, you know what? Get back on that bus route and you might get some sinners converted unto him. You know the joy of going out and knocking on the door and bringing your little bus kid in and them getting saved in junior church or you leading them to Christ down there in front of their parents and bringing them down one of these aisles up here on Sunday morning and saying, Preacher, I want to introduce you to this young man. He trusted Christ as his Savior. And he his parents are here. They're sitting in the back. And he's come to get baptized today. Well, glory. Some of you missing out on the joy is what you're doing. I've been going out the last several weeks with one of our men. 
our bus captain. He, I said, look, can I go? I want to win some of your parents to the Lord, Reuben Gibson. And we go out every, we, we went out about three or four or five Saturday mornings in a row. And he takes me there and I witness to him. You set me up and I'll witness to him, brother. Just, if you want to take me and set me up, go ahead, I'll do it. I don't know him, but I'll, I'll be glad. It's amazing. We probably have had 12, 14 adults saved. Just going and doing it. And I leave after they get saved, pastor, and I come home and I go, hard day. I don't know. Just serving Jesus is not worth it. I think I'm going to quit. I'm never going to sow again. We only had three saved today. We only had four saved. I'm, I'm just tired of it. How many of you think that's what I do? Nobody. How many of you think I come home and I go, man, I tell you what, you, I, I got to tell you what happened. This is great. We went to this house and then I go into the story. And because I tell stories that are long and I take rabbit trails while I'm telling them, it takes me forever to tell them about one and I forget the other ones because it took me so long on the first one. But anyway, with that said, I, I'm, 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 look, brother, I'm ready. I'm ready to swing over hell on a corn stalk and squirt the devil and I with a water gun. I'm so excited. Come on, man. I tell you, when somebody says yes to Jesus, it does something in your heart. When you're the one that helped tell them about it, it's like, thank you, Jesus. I got to be the one that shared the precious gospel last week when I stood in that rehab center and that lady named Sabrina bowed her head and said yes to Jesus. When I looked up and tears running down her face. You know what I said? Well, you shouldn't be squalling, woman. What were you thinking? Crying like a little baby. Baby, baby. I saw those tears. Woo, glory. Brother Ken's over there devouring. He says, Boy, I love it, Brother Rick. He's almost crying. I love it when I see those tears flowing when somebody gets saved like that. When I went to that hospital to visit the next morning when one of our men was having surgery and his sister-in-law stood there uh, and her name was, uh, my mind went, Ruth. And Ruth bowed her head and asked Jesus to save her. And she got on, and my, well, the guy went with me was guarding the door so nobody could come in and bother us while I witnessed to her. And then we came in, and her, and her sister-in-law came in, and I said, Hey, Ruth, tell them what you just did. She said, I got saved. When I left there, I, I'm getting my oil changed, and that guy got saved after I got on. I was ready to pay for the oil again. Just pay for it again. Amen. I just want let's get a nothing. Well, you get one, you want a nothing. For you that don't know what nothing is, it's another one. Nothing short for another one. The joy of serving. We've lost it. We've lost the joy of our salvation. It's the greatest thing that happened to us is getting saved. Watch this. I gotta hurry. And we won't get out here till midnight if I don't hurry. All right. Deliver me, verse 14, from blindness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. I'm going to tell you what he lost. He lost the joy of singing and praising God. You ever watch somebody that's just gotten saved? They come to church and... They learn, they finally know the songs. They're back there. And they may not be on tune like me. That's all right. God never said you had to be on tune, did he? 
Now, the choir really should be on tune. The leader wasn't, but the rest of you should be. But he does understand music, so we'll just keep him anyway. But you know what he said? Make a what? Joyful what? Noise. Did you notice he said a noise? But not only did he say that, he said joyful. So we sing like this. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. You forgot to tell your face you were happy in Jesus. <laughs> Somewhere they lost it in exchange. You know how to sing that song? Read. Look, here's how I lead it. When I get up and lead, I, I lead singing at Shawnee. They let me. They ain't got no choice. They ain't got nobody else that can do it. But anyway, I, I'm leading a, uh, uh, redeemed how, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the, am I lying? I am, I'm not. You don't know. When your own wife won't even lie for you. No, I'm saying, I do. You know how I led in chapel. That's exactly what I do now. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Look, you can sing with a joyful heart. If you got something in your heart that's worth being joyful about. Now, here's the problem. You're either dead, which means you're not saved, or you're dead physically. If you're dead physically, tell us and we'll, put you, get you, we'll call the morgue to come and get you. But if you're not, why don't you sing rejoicefully? Make a joyful noise. He'd lost the joy of his singing. He said, Lord, I, I need that back. I, I want to have it joy back. I've lost my joy. Next thing he lost, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. He lost his right spirit. See, look what he said. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. But he said up here, create in me a clean heart, Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. That steadfast spirit. He lost something. My time's getting away, and i got to shorten this. But let me just say this. Sin is a transgression of the law. That's what it is. Evil is a sin with intent to hurt. Now watch this. When, what David did to Bathsheba was sin. It was a transgression of the law. What David did to Uriah was evil. It was with intent to hurt. Uh, killing him is hurting him, right? Sometimes our sins are just transgressions. Sometimes our sins are evil. I said the first question was this. What did David lose when he sinned? He lost his relationship with God. He lost his righteous testimony. He lost his joy, joy, uh, rejoicing heart. And he lost his right spirit. Number three. Number, the second question is this. What did David do to find what he lost? Psalm 51, verse, two, uh, verse uh, 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and create in me. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Let me tell you what he did. He saw his condition. Here's how he changed himself. He saw his condition. You know what's wrong with most Christians? They never see where they're at. You know why it's hard to win somebody to Jesus? They don't think they need it. They, if, if they're super religious, they don't need it. But I don't need that. I witnessed a guy, he said, well, you know, I mean, I go to church and I do this, I do this, I do this. I said, you know what? That's wonderful. Except that's talking about religion, not a relationship. 
And what I'm talking about today in this card I gave you is about a relationship. And see, Jesus said you must be born again in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said you have to be saved to go to heaven. That's called a relationship with him. And I'm, let me show you how you can have that relationship. And I went through the plan with him, and when I got in, I said, now let me ask you a question. Have you done that? And he said, no. I said, then according to the Bible, where'd you go if you died? He said, I'd go to hell. I said, you don't want to go there, do you? He said, no. And I said, well, then watch this. Here's the problem. I can't get you to turn around unless you know you're going the wrong direction. Hello? I can't get you to turn around unless you know you're going the wrong direction. Hello? Most people won't admit they're going the wrong direction, so therefore they can't turn around. He saw his condition. The second thing he did was this. How, what did David do? He saw his condition. And here's the part that most people don't like. Look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now look at verse number 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be white as snow. Now look at verse number 9. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Now look at verse number 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Now look at verse number 17, and here's the clincher. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I said, what did David do to find what he lost? He saw his condition, number one. Number two, he sought forgiveness with a broken and contrite spirit. There's the key. David, when he realized what happened, David said, it's, I'm sorry. I was wicked. I was wrong. He comes in this Psalm 51. By the way, preacher, I've got written over this Psalm 51, Ricky Moon. It's written right there in my Bible. It's my psalm. That's my psalm. If I'll come to God with a broken, contrite heart, with a sincere heart and say, God, I've got to have help. I'm an old wicked, dirty sinner. Look at how much I've disobeyed you, God. I can't even raise my eyes to you, my head to you. I'm so wicked and vile and dirty. I need help. Oh, God, I need help. Would you do something in my life? And God says, that's what I want. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what God's saying? You come to me with a broken heart, and I'll help you find what you lost. Sin will take, will cost you more. Will cost, sin will always cost you something. Sin will take you further than you want to go, someone has said. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. God can and will restore you when you come with a broken and contrite spirit. Let me read you a passage and I'll be done. Acts 13. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. When the high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time uh, of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. When they had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Afterwards they desired a king. And God gave unto them the son, Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. About a space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. 
which shall fulfill all of my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Hello. Can I tell you something? Acts was written a long time after David committed his sin. And on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, a man after my own heart. And he threw in extra just in case you didn't catch it. He said, he'll do all my will. He'll fulfill it all. And on that, of this man's seed shall God, according to his promise, raise unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. By the way, Jesus came way after David. And God said, look, look at this. I'm going to let Jesus come through David, even though David made a major mistake. What David did was transgression. What David did was evil. But because David found what he lost, God in return said, watch this. And you're sitting there saying, yeah, you don't know the sin I committed, Brother Moon. I can never be used of God. Really? Yeah, there's some things you can't do. You may have forfeited the right to be some things, but you haven't forfeited the right to win souls. Most of you haven't forfeited the right to serve God in a tremendous way. And God wants to use every person in this room to fulfill his will. To fulfill his will like David fulfilled his will. But it's not going to happen if you've lost it. Because you're not even going to know it until you see your condition. And you know why we can't have revival? Because people don't see their condition. Preacher, I'm happy where I'm at. Well, praise the Lord, then you're done. Stick a fork in him, he's done. When you come to the point where you say, I have a problem that only God can solve. And you make your way to an aisle somewhere and get you an altar and get on your face before Almighty God and really, 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 really do business with God and come with a broken and a contrite spirit realizing that you deserve nothing but to go to hell when you die and realizing that the God of the universe is willing to, has already saved you and is willing to forgive you and willing to reclaim you and willing to restore you, you can get back what you lost. But friend, you're never going to get that joy. You're never going to get that happiness. You're never going to get that what you had before until you come back to the God of the universe and say, I've got to have it back. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. No one looking around. I'm going to ask the pianist to come quietly to the piano and begin to play a, just a quiet song. And I'm going to say it right now before, before I go any further. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not even saved. You've never even trusted Christ. It would, be a, it, would be, it would be horrible for you to leave here tonight without Christ. Jesus wants to save you. That's what he came for. That's what Easter's all about. You're here tonight and you say, Brother Moon, I'm not even saved. Be honest. See your condition. I'm not saved. Pray for me. I'm not saved. Anybody like that? Heads are bowed. People are moving, but they're moving the altar. They can't see you. Would you slip your hand up and put it back down? Anybody like that? Anybody like that? 